this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. We're so glad you've taken the opportunity to avail yourselves of our audio sermons. If they are encouraging to you, or if you just want to make a comment, we'd love to hear from you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and leave us a comment. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you. Greetings this Lord's Day in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Greetings. Jesus was wise. He knew that the only thing to build the church on was the unchangeable rock himself. The unmovable, unshakable truth that he was the Christ, the Son of the living God. Only on him could the church be built. It was not built on Peter, James, or John, but it was built on the Spirit of God that dwelled in them. We all will do well to understand that the arm of flesh, any arm of flesh, but the arm of the Son of God will fail us. Many of us take comfort that we hold this to be true only to rely on the most unsure arm of flesh that there is, and that's our own. We rely on ourselves. David learned this hard lesson in many, many ways. In Psalm 37, he extols the virtues and the understanding of not necessarily trusting in his own arm of flesh or in others, but trusting in the rock. Amen? Psalm 37 says, Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass. They shall wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thy dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy ways unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. And he shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light, and thy judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord, wait patiently for him, fret not thyself because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked devices to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath, fret not thyself in any wise to do evil, for evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth for yet a little while, and the wicked shall not be, yea, they shall Thou shalt diligently consider his place, and it shall not be there. But the meek shall inherit the earth, and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. The wicked plots against the just, and gnashes upon him with their teeth, but the Lord shall laugh at him, for he sees that his day is coming. The wicked have drawn their sword, they have bent their bow, They have cast down the poor and the needy to slay such as be of upright conversation. But their sword shall enter their very own hearts. And their bows shall be broken. Their bows shall be broken. A little that is a righteous man has is better than the riches of the wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken. But the Lord upholds the righteous. The Lord knoweth the days of the upright and their inheritance shall be forever. They shall not be ashamed in the evil time, and in the days of famine they shall be satisfied. But the wicked shall perish, and the enemies of the Lord shall be as fat, the fat of lambs. They shall consume into smoke, and they shall consume away. The wicked borrows, and he pays not again, but the righteous shows mercy, and he gives. For such as blessed of him shall inherit the earth, and they shall be cursed, shall be cut off. The steps of a good man are ordered to the Lord, and he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not utterly be cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. I have been young, and now I am old. Yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. He is ever merciful, and he lendeth, and his seed is blessed. Depart from evil, and do good, and dwell forevermore. For the Lord loveth judgment. And he forsaketh not his saints. They are preserved forever, but the seed of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteousness 
The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell therein forever. The mouth of righteousness speaks wisdom and his tongue talketh of judgment. The law of his God is in his heart. None of his steps shall slide. The wicked watcheth the righteous and seeketh to slay him. But the Lord will not leave him in his hand nor condemn him when he is judged. Wait on the Lord, keep his way, and he shall exalt thee to inherit the land when the wicked are cut off. Thou shalt see it. I have seen the wicked in great power, spreading himself like a great bay tree. Yet he passed away, and lo, he was not. Yea, I sought him, and he could not be found. Mark the perfect and upright man, and behold him, for the end of that man is peace. The transgressions, the transgressors, transgressors shall be destroyed together. The end of the wicked shall be cut off, but the salvation of the righteous is of the Lord. He is their strength in the time of trouble, and the Lord shall help them and deliver them, and he shall deliver them from the wicked and save them because they trust in him. Let us pray. Lord, we hear these incredible words from Psalm 37 that David spoke, understanding that it is only by your hand and your strength that we are able to stand and to continue to stand. Lord, oftentimes we trust in our own self, we trust in others, Lord, but we are called back again today as we are called to worship to trust in you alone. Lord, we pray today, Lord, as we come before you asking for forgiveness of our sins, that you would indeed forgive us and cleanse us with your blood. Lord, as we come today longing to hear your voice, that you would speak to us, Lord, that you would lead us in the the straight path, Lord, the straight gate, the narrow way that leads to life. We pray that as we would hunger and thirst after righteousness, that you would fill us today, that you would lead us out into the world to be uh, witnesses of what you have said and done, that we would glorify you as lights on a hill, cities that can't be hidden. In Christ's name we pray. And all the church said, Amen. Amen. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him, above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Please remain standing as we read my text here in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 29. Houses built on rock and sand. This is our 43rd week in the life of Christ, and uh, apparently we're going to be here for a while. Matthew 7, 24 says, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man, which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house. And it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that hears these sayings of mine, and doeth them not, shall be likened unto a foolish man, which built his house upon the sand." And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. And it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we long for you to speak to us today. Our ears are open, our eyes are open, our hearts are open to hear your words to us. Speak to us, illuminate your word, Lord. Fill the mouth of your servant with your words and not his own. In Christ's name we pray and all the church said, Amen. You may be seated. This saying of Jesus is among the most retold of all his teachings, yet I would dare say that it may be the least applied. Nearly every believer and unbeliever that you would ever start this saying with would be able to finish it with some degree of accuracy. The problem is, is 
that it is not contextualized, which is the problem with so many scriptures. They know how to quote the verse or they know the thing, but they don't have, they have no idea how to bring it home to where they live or they take it out of where it was living in scripture. This uh, passage is at the end of a three chapter sermon of Christ where he has made plain that what he is doing is he is trying to teach us who is going to inherit the earth. I was amazed really as we went through Psalm 37. I knew some things about it that would make it appropriate. But as we went through it today and as I was a hearer of it, as it was being uh, uh, spoken even from my own mouth, I'm reading it and I'm hearing it. I'm like, wow, this sounds a lot like Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. It's talking about blessed are those who will inherit the earth. And it talks about the meek and it talks about the merciful. And it, and it mentions all of these things in Psalm 37. Jesus was quoting uh, from the book of Psalms as he was preaching. Most would say that what he uh, was saying means uh, something very, very simple. Like, well, what it really means is we need to build our lives on God. Let's do that, right? But the problem with that. Uh, although that is true, the how-to is nowhere in sight in this explanation, and it is far from being applied. This is at its best would be ambiguous or even uh, what we would say arbitrary. In simple terms, what I'm saying is building your life on God is a general statement that can be applied any way anybody wants to apply it. I want to know a woman who would say to me over and over, oh, my children are the most important things in my life. I love them. Yet, I knew her very well, and I knew her children very well, and she worked about 10 or 12 hours a day, and uh, she would get home uh, late and, and, and probably see her children for 15 to 20 minutes before she put them to bed. And half the time, she would then uh, go out, even after that, out to some place to go, you know, drink or socialize. And then sometimes she would even go away on the weekends uh, and leave her small children. They, these were preschool age children. And oh, but they were so important to her. They were everything to her. You really think they were the most important things in her life? Were everything to her? It seemed ridiculous to me. And I would, I would, I would kind of roll my eyes, and, you know, oh yeah, I, yeah, they're so important to you, you know. But in her heart, like all of our hearts, there is a way that seems right to us, right? And when we look at people like that, our, our sinful nature can look at them and, and go, you know what? I mean, how stupid are these people? They obviously aren't putting their children first. They're idiots. But what God actually calls us to do, rather than to look at them and see how stupid they are, He calls us to look at our own heart and ask ourselves, how are we doing the same thing? With our mouths, we say God is first and that we want to build our life on Him. But with our lives, we say a whole different story. This is what we do. We're building our house on the rock. We say we do this. We, we build our house on the rock because we go to church. We profess faith in Christ for our salvation. But it's not what Christ is teaching here. What he did here is in the Sermon on the Mount is he showed us the rock. He showed us how to build our house on the rock. I mean, it's not enough to know that a footer goes underneath the building if you're a builder. You need to understand how to put the house on the footer. It doesn't matter. You could have 10 footers under the house, but none of them uh, uh, connecting with the, the building in any way. And you'll have what seems to be a house built on the rock that's not built on the rock at all. The power of the kingdom. Power that could and would topple the kingdoms of the world could uh, come. But it can only come through people that build their house on the rock. Andy read for us out of 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3. And in 1 Corinthians 3, it explains to us that we, the only thing we can build on is uh, on Christ, the rock. But it matters how we build. So there's a lot in the, the building of this house. And so we can't just decide what we want to build with. We're like the three little piggies. Let's try straw and let's try wood. Oh, look at our house, how good it is. People like it. People come, they admire it. Oh, it's so comfortable to be in. But Jesus said, well, if you build with things like that, they will burn and they will be gone and they won't be there in the coming ages. But if you build with precious things, they will 
still be there in the ages to come. And you might say, oh, that's what I do. I build with precious things. I would dare say that we don't. And I really think that we need to consider this question today on whether we do. Are we really building on the rock of ages? We're all so used to quick fixes. We're so removed from real life. We can't even start to understand what this means. Our food comes to us prepackaged and we rarely spend time among the things that God has made. That when God is working, we, we look at the way God works and we go, I think there's a faster, better way than this. I mean, when God is making an oak tree, I mean, could anyone even bear it? Could you imagine if it was your job to oversee the building of an oak tree? Oh, come on, God. You start with this, seriously, and you put it in the ground, and then what do we do? we got to wait, wait, wait. And then it's going to come up, well, you know, a squirrel could kill it. You know, a cat could be running across the, the, the field and decide to tear out and turn left right there, and there it would be go. Lord, this, there's got to be a better way than this. But there is no better way to make an oak tree than with an acorn, and that's a fact. But we're so removed from it that we, we, we couldn't believe it. If someone showed you that the power of God was in such a weak thing, we, we, we couldn't even imagine it. And I'm telling you that the weak things that seem weak, like Brother Andy read for us, the weak the things, the weak things that, that seem foolish and seem powerless and seem unimportant to us, are the powerful things of God. And Jesus laid it out for us in the Sermon on the Mount. Here in our text, Jesus is not simply saying, put put God first in your life or love God. He's not saying something that would flit on a bumper sticker. He's showing us how to do this. Life in the kingdom by subjects of the king should be markedly different than those who walk according to the course of this world. Yet our lives are so similar to theirs. Most people might not even recognize that we're believers by just watching how we live. Others have followed an equally arbitrary path that looks much more like what we think Jesus means here. But again, it's not what he teaches. We think that if we work hard to live righteous lives, as we define righteousness, that we are building our houses on the rock. We are deceived again. Some are tempted to evil and others are tempted to good. Both are off the path that Jesus set for us here in the Sermon on the Mount. Those of us who uh, call ourselves Christians, we say, we're going to live a good life. We're going to live a clean life. We're going to live a life that, that, that looks like it's really, really good. But if you read the words of Jesus that chastises, it's the people who focused on living a life that looked so clean and good that he blasted so hard. Because you know that can be our focus, Brother Steve. And then we'll be just like those Pharisees. Woe unto you, blind guides. Remember what he said to them? What do they do? I'll read it for you here in a minute. I'll read it straight for you. His, his argument with them and his problem with them was not that they had clean outsides of cups. It was not that they did all the things that they did. It's what they didn't do. That was even more important than that. And I think this is where we go wrong. It's where we are straying off of the path. Jesus is very specific throughout his three chapter discourse on what the focus of our life should be. Yet these things are not at the center of our efforts We want to be good people raising good children. When we do this, we may not be following the course of the world, but we are following our own path. Remember Jesus' words above the words that we just read. There are only two paths. Remember this? He said, straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leadeth unto life. And few be there that find it, but broad is the way, right? That leads to death. So many people try to contextualize this as in heaven and hell. And I'm telling you, you can be on your way to heaven and walking in the broad path. You can be on your way to heaven and you can be building with straw and wood. You can be on your way to heaven and do all of these things. And you may not be like Billy that I talked about earlier. But were you raised by two lesbians? Was your father a murderer? Did you, were you raised in a place like he was and lived the life that he lived? Absolutely not. Where, what, to whom much is given, much is required. 
and why I'm not certainly holding up his life as some example for us. But what I'm saying is I'm telling you right now that God will save somebody like Billy in the middle of all of that filth and foolishness that he's living. God can save him because it only takes the blood of Christ. It is not about our performance and how well we do. He knows he's living like a fool. And I pray to God he learns to be wise. But our quest, my question today is how are we living like fools? And what are we putting our trust in? And are we maybe on the other side of it trusting in the good things that we do? And our good pursuits and looking good versus what Jesus tells us our life should be about. I like to call it this. The good way. The good way is not God's way. It's the way we like to take, but it's not God's way. The good way also leads to death as surely as the path of life. It's not going to lead you to hell, but it will lead you to what you build being burnt and not lasting. It will lead you to misery in this life. It may be a different set of miseries than having your wife turn out to be a prostitute and a heroin addict and your children being put in children's services and you can't even get to them or see them. That may not be what comes in your life, but you might end up raising Pharisees. You might be end up becoming a harsh person who looks down upon others and finds Find yourself the guy in the prayer who's saying, oh, I thank my God that I fast every Tuesday and I'm not like this Billy over here. And God has not called us to become those kinds of people. He said that the man who cried and beat his breast and wouldn't even approach that was more justified than us who find ourselves standing like, I mean, come on, guys. How many feel like you live pretty clean and pretty good? You do. But is that really what the Sermon on the Mount points us toward? Living these good, clean, cookie-cutter lives where people look at us and they go, Wow, look at your kids. They're homeschooled. And look at your children, how modest. And look at how, you know, and we love it. And, and, and our, we get filled with pride. And I want that not to leave these things undone. I want those things too. But folks, there are weightier matters. There are weightier matters that are being neglected in our homes and in our lives. There's a way that seems right. The end thereof are the ways of death. The right path, the path of life has clearly been defined for three chapters. Ask yourself, have you set your sights on being poor in spirit, as Christ says, so that you can have the kingdom of God? As much as you have on not looking worldly or looking like as much like a man or a woman as you should look like. In the words of Jesus, have you neglected the weightier matters? Certainly we are not to leave these good things undone. Certainly our righteousness should exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. But what is righteousness anyway? Are we filled with pride instead of poor in spirit? Are we more like mourners or are we like petty autocrats? Are we meek when we receive correction or are we ready to judge others? Oh, really? Oh, you think I need correction? Well, look at you. Is that what your heart does? See, we might say, well, you know, I'm just, kind of, I'm rough and, you know, and I'm hard. Uh, yeah. And we deal with that and we wouldn't be caught dead doing some things. But the things that Christ tells us that we can't be doing in the kingdom of God, we make excuses and we do them all day long. You wouldn't be caught dead with a new tattoo. But are you seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Are you seeking your own, your own family, your own kingdom, your own path? The kingdom of heaven is for the poor in spirit. It is to the meek that will inherit the earth. It is the merciful who will obtain mercy. It is those who hunger and thirst after God's righteousness that will be filled. Those who seek their own, even their own righteousness that will find hung, yourself hungering, unfulfilled and always weary, working, trying to fill a void that cannot be filled. I'll tell you right now. Man's righteousness always costs more than he can pay. You will see in society, it's almost a saying. Whenever you see somebody that's, that, that, is, that touts their goodness and their righteousness and, 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 and wants to make sure they let you know how good they are. And when they're accused, they let you know, I can't even believe you would think that about me. Look at me. People like that always end up. Find, you find out that inside what they have are dead men's bones. That's what you find out. Because it takes too much effort to keep everybody clear how good you are. 
It just takes too much effort. It always costs you more than you can pay. Man's righteousness is so expensive. And it always pans out in the end that you failed. You're always the, they're, they're always the one that runs off with their secretary. They're always the one who end up in scandal. They're always the ones who end up defaming the name of Christ all their life because they're hard, hard, hard. And they bang it from the pulpit and they scream and they yell and they holler and they stand up and they look down at everybody else. And I'm telling you, Jesus was, Jesus, if anybody could have done that, Jesus could have done it. And he never did. When they threw the woman at his feet, caught in the middle. Can you imagine it? There was no question about her sinfulness and her filthiness. And and they threw her and they caught her in the middle. I don't know how she was dressed. I don't know how she was even feeling. She she was like, you know, I'm, I'm covered in the filth of my own sin right at this moment. And I'm here. And if anybody ever deserved judgment, she did. And Christ didn't judge her right there then. And you might go, well, he was he okay? Christ was not okay with that. He took the occasion to remind them that as good as they all look, they were just like her. He knew them. He began writing in the sand. What's he writing about? He's writing about what they have been doing. They were so eager to point out her sin. They were so eager to, to get Jesus to go, boom, because he could and because he should. But Jesus said, you know, there's a weightier matter of the law. There's a weightier matter of the law. What a, who can name the three weightier matters of the law? Can you do it? Can you raise your hand right now and name what Jesus said were the three weightier matters of the law? Can you do it, Steve? I believe so. It's not everybody else just piggybacking. It's justice, mercy, where the law is It's judgment, mercy, and faith. Now, I'm not, saying it, I'm not saying it to call you out. What I'm saying is they ought to be on the tip of our tongues because they're what? They're the weightier matters of the law. And if you read the Sermon on the Mount, do you know what Jesus spends his time talking about, Brother Derek? Judgment. Remember, what did we learn? Judge not that you be not judged. For with the measure that you judge others, so shall you also be judge he talked about mercy blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy he talked about faith what do you mean he said you know what he said don't you worry about tomorrow don't you worry about what you're going to eat don't you worry about what you're going to wear but seek first the kingdom of god and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you what's he talking about he's talking about faith jesus is hitting the weightier matters of the law square on And now we know what they are. Is that really what the focus of our life has been about? Do we do the good we do to be seen of men? We say no, but we are deceived. We do. We love the praise of men. We love for people to see us and think that we're better than they are. Oh, church. May God birth in all of us a true hunger and a thirst after righteousness. May we look to the words of Jesus here in these three chapters and find a renewed focus on what he has so clearly called us to. May God help us deal with our anger. We think no one sees our lust. We so carefully hide from others. May we be as concerned to kill these dragons in our lives as we are to ensure a good appearance before others. May we have the courage to face our hidden sins and the ungodly things we see in the lives of our brothers and sisters, but first remove the beam from our own lustful eyes. May we do so with the determination of a man who would be willing to pluck out his own eye or cut off his hand. May we not fall prey to the that's just me attitude or lean too heavily on the grace of God saying, well, he knows I'm a sinner and I'm not perfect. What if a member of our church, as I mentioned before, that it's not a, I guess could be, it's an easy, I'll throw it out. What if a member of our church got a tattoo or one of our families decided to allow their boys to wear dresses? I guarantee there would be some of us here that would say something must be done now. Right? I'd probably be leading the charge. Yet lurking in plain sight, 
there are much weightier matters that go completely neglected and allowed in our church. See, the tattoo's easy, you know. See, I grew up in a church and and everyone had to look a certain way and it was so easy to hide behind those good, wholesome looks. The lurking ungodliness, the gluttony, the greed, the covetousness. We've lost sight of the kingdom. If not for, I'm not for any of these sins, you, you know that. But I really think that we have built our houses on sand in many cases. We are like those that Jesus hammered in Matthew 23. I mentioned this, but I'm going to read it for you. Woe unto you. I mean, who wants to be the you in this? I don't want to be the you in this, but I'm reading it and I'm saying I I think I might be. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and, and, and ants and cumin and... But you have done what? Everybody say, omitted the weightier matters of the law. Say it. Omitted the weightier matters of the law. Judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought you to have done. And this, this is all, if the very first thing that come, comes out of your mind and your heart when you hear this, you go, well, we should have done those. If that's the very first thing, that's a good indicator that you are messed up. Jesus was speaking to you and to me, us messed up people. But now, now we, we, we really do need to tithe of our, uh, you know, our herb garden, right? I'm sure all of you do. All of your herb gardens, I'm sure you all bring up your tithe of that into the church, right? Every time you get 10 tomatoes, you bring one in, right? We're not even as righteous as these people were. But he's saying, you ought not to have not done that. You should do that. We should, in all of our life, we should certainly want to honor God in all these things. But you see, they did these things because they were the easy things. How hard is it to count to ten? I've had people going, I just don't know how to do that. Well, you don't know how to do that. That's because you can't count to ten. How hard is it? But the weightier matters of the law, they're not easy. They're so not easy, we just go, well, I mean, you know, (laughs) and nobody's perfect. I mean, come on, I can't work on that. I mean, this I can do this. And see, this is where our hearts go, Luke. I can do that. I can count to ten. But, but how do I focus on judgment and mercy and faith? I can tell you, if your life is not surrounding these areas, you're off course. There should be the center. Those things should be first. And I would say it this way. If you can't focus on, you know, all of these things, then forget the other ones. And Jesus is saying you ought to have done those things, but not left the other undone. And I'm telling you, it takes all of our time to keep up appearances. It takes all of our time to keep our sepulchers white. And we don't have time to work on what's really important. We've done so much, church, but we've left more undone that should have been done first. You blind guides, you strain at a gnat, swallow a camel. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you make clean the outside of the cup and the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Thou blind Pharisee, clean that which is within the cup and the platter, then the outside may be clean also. Remember how we talked about there's an order in the kingdom of God, it's everybody, and then me. When it comes to judgment, what's the order? Everybody say, me first, and then everybody. And when it comes to righteousness, everybody say, internal righteousness is more important than external righteousness. There's an order to that too. And we go, well, you know what? We're going to fake it till we make it. We're going to teach us how to look good, and we're going to teach us how to appear to be great. We're going to learn that, and then we're going to fake it until we make it. And then we'll work on the inside. And what God's Word is telling us here is you want to build your house and your family and your life on sand. Do it that way. People come to the church, and there are things they can change right away. They'll fit right in. They'll look just like us. We can tell them how, and they'll... They'll not be one bit better off. We'd be better off to not care a a, a whit about that. But we do. We don't want anyone to think we're okay with that. We don't want anyone to think we'd allow that. We don't want anyone to think that, that, that this would be okay at Foundation Church. We want to make sure that that's dealt with, of course. 
while overlooking the weightier matters of the law. Oh, well, we can do both. Jesus is saying you cannot, that there's an order to it. We want our kids, you know, we hate it when they embarrass us. We hate it when they do certain things because what are they doing? Well, they're going to make us look bad, you know. They're going to, they're going to mess things up. People are going to find out what's really going on at the Robinette house. Do I care more about what's really going on in the hearts of my children and the lives of my children than what you think about them? And I'm telling you, that's a temptation. We get angry. We get fired up. We get disgusted. Why? Well, because they're not they're making us look bad. Really? How do we all make God look? I mean, if we're the ju- if if we're what the world sees, if we're the light on the hill, are we really showing forth God? Is God really about what we're all about? I purposely remove from our slogan that that Foundation Church is reformed and family integrated. Did you know that? Did you guys know I took that off? Why? Because I can tell you what, if we're going to be something, I think the very I think if we're going to list something that we are, I don't think family integrated ought to be the thing. And you might go, well, we are. Well, of course we are. We're, we love all these little babies and their children. We, we love the, the blessing of all these things. Are we killing ourselves to have so many children that we're half killing our wives? We can't even hardly deal with what we have. And we're doing this because, what? Well, oh, well, we believe in the blessing of children. Rabbits can have lots of rabbits. I'm not advocating that we have one kid each and do them really well. That's not what I'm saying. But there are, th- there are links and, 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 and things that we go to to keep up appearances. I know, I know people who can't have children that feel like they don't fit in in the family integrated world because they don't have enough. I need more. I need to get a few more around me so I can, I can really look like I'm really family integrated. We had these women in our church, I've told you about them, their hair wouldn't grow long. I mean, in the, we, well, let's get extensions for these women. Oh, so they can look like they don't cut their hair and they look womanly and all that. I'm telling you, we do it just like they do it. Jesus wasn't telling them that straining the gnats out of their water was bad or washing the outside cup was bad. He was showing them that our tendency is to major on the minors and to do first what ought to come last. Do you understand? That's what Jesus was saying. And we might go, well, I see others do it. We should be asking ourselves, how are we doing the same thing? What are we doing? Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whited sepulchers, which indeed appear beautiful. Just in case you're missing the message, Jesus gives another example. You appear to be beautiful. I used to take pride in the fact that we were the beautiful people. We're the beautiful people. And we are. We do live a beautiful life. Which indeed appear to be beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones. I'm not saying, oh, we all look good, but you're really all a bunch of uh, heathens and hypocrites. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that Jesus is teaching us here that our focus on the outward first leads to an inward rottenness. That we are building our life on sand when we care more and we take more time and effort and focus on that than we do on the important things. Mercy. How many of you are concerned that you are really merciful? How many of you find that when you hear about other people's difficulties, the first thing you think is, well, you know, they kind of got themselves into this mess or, you know, the reason I can talk about this so much is I, Benita, I was the worst. I was the worst whited sepulcher hypocrite that I've ever met. I had someone say something to me. They made me so mad, Christy. I thought I was going to go crazy. This, this girl, she was visiting our house and she wasn't a Christian and, and whatever. And I said something to her, like she thought I did something wrong. And I, I'm like, Hey, now I just want you to know, I I didn't do that. And she goes, she goes, you know what? She goes, you make me sick. And I'm like, what? She goes, you are so concerned with your own goodness. It's really kind of gross. And I was like, I went around going, well, this, man, she's this, this, I was spinning out of control, anger over the fact that I was being accused of being concerned with my own goodness. Do you know why? She nailed me. 
Was I concerned about her? You know, I'm, I was the kind of guy who, when I heard that someone had a back pain and they couldn't help, you know, the, unload the truck, I was like, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, I know about that. Got to wear your little weight belt, you know, you're <laughs> faker, you know. Someone was sick, yeah, they're just lazy in bed. They don't want to get out of bed. I mean, come on, seriously. I mean, does anybody, man, you know, God has a way of just changing you. I saw people that went through divorces and I looked at them and I'm like, you know what? No one really knows what goes on in their homes. I never thought about their pain. I never thought about their difficulty. I never thought about how easy it would be to find myself in the same exact place. I was there because what? Because I was so good. You know what God had to do to me? He had to show me how good I wasn't. And you know what? My worst My worst fear came upon me. Everybody was going to think about me the way I had thought about them. (laughs) I'll have to explain it. You know, it really wasn't me. I really didn't do it. I mean, I was completely innocent in every way. And I want you to realize how good that I was. And that's where I was. And man, that was important to me. All the while, Jesus is looking at me through his words here. And he's saying, is that what the focus of the kingdom life is? Or have we ignored the weightier matters of the law of judgment, mercy, and faith? Even so, outwardly you appear righteous. He says it again. Jesus says this so... What's Jesus' problem? Is that we work on what? Everybody say the appearance of righteousness. That's what Jesus is attacking here. Woe unto you, scribes of You build tombs for the prophets and garnish the sepulchers. I mean, come on, what's wrong with that? The great men of God that have lived. The incredible men of God that have lived. The, the great John Bunyans of the world or, or the great William Tyndale's. Oh, we're going to build great monuments to them. And we're going to garnish them. And he says, and you do so. And when you do so... You say, you know what, if I had been alive during the time, that time, I mean, <laughs> I, would have been, I would have been so behind William Tyndale. I would have been so behind John Wycliffe. I would have been with those reformers. I wouldn't have been like those bunch of recanters. That's why we like Reformation Month. It's another way to stroke our own pride. Man, we're not like those dirty, rotten, scoundrel, inquisition-holding Catholics. Who get distracted by their ungodliness. Wow, look at us. Wow, we're reformed. Really? If you would have been raised in that home or in that life and it was going on, what you need to understand is you'd have probably, you know, been holding the Inquisition. That's what Jesus is saying right here. You say you wouldn't. You would have. The Wycliffs of the world, the reason we remember their names is because very few were willing to stand against it. And you probably wouldn't have been. You go, all those that didn't. It's hard to stand up for what's right. It's hard to go against what everyone thinks you should do. It's hard to be alone. It's hard to be ridiculed and to look, oh, he's a bad guy. He's a, look at him. He's rebellious. And he's, well, I don't want to appear to be rebellious. I don't want to appear to not, you know, love the church. But what was his main focus of his life, guys? I love the church. I love God's word. And it's all borne out hundreds of years later. But they hated him so bad when he died, they dug him up and burned him. Could you imagine living such a life that you, that you, that you shook the foundations that were built on sand of the powers that be so bad that after you died, they dug you up and burned you? They won't even notice where we're buried, probably. Won't even care. And we go, I think I'd be like him. I think I would have been one of those lollards that went around. No, you probably wouldn't. If we had been in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them. You see, the people who are messed up here are people who don't know what they are. They believe they're good when they're not. And Jesus told them, You are the children of them that killed the prophets. You see, we demand justice eye for an eye instead of offering our cheek or giving away our coats when we certainly owe our own shirt. You might not understand I'm going through the Sermon on the Mount. 
We never walk a mile, much less the extra mile. It just takes too much time. We find other ways to make up for it. Well, don't. But you know, there is no other way. Giving your time cannot be made up with money. We are Christians first, not Americans, who say, well, you know, time is money. I, I don't have the time to spend on this, but I'll give to it. That'll, that'll work. No, it doesn't work like that. Jesus doesn't say, if your brother asks him to walk a mile, find someone who will and hire him and then hire him to walk the extra mile. It doesn't say that. We've gone astray again and again, and we need to ask God to deliver us from ourselves. We think that we have a better, faster way, but we do not. A more efficient way, but we are so very wrong. We have been called to love our enemies and pray for them, and we can't even love our brothers and sisters that He's given us in the church. We find ourselves struggling with ourselves over our pet peeves, insomuch that we never even find time to pray for our enemies and love them. Oh God, we pray that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done here at Foundation Church, in my family, in the families of this church, as it is here on earth. Oh God, may we be forgiving those debtors of our own so that you can forgive our debts. Oh, make this our prayer, oh God. Forgive us, O God, for we have disfigured our faces, hypocrites that we are, as we have done the few good deeds that we have done and we have acted like they have been so hard and they have been so easy. Oh, we need a Savior. We have indeed laid up treasures for ourselves while failing to lay up true treasures in heaven. We have given thought to our lives and little more as a guise that our life is the kingdom of God. We have concerned ourselves chiefly with ourselves day after day. Oh, let today be a day of redirection. May we take stock of where we have labored most diligently for ourselves. Or have we sought first the kingdom of God and His righteousness? Is that what we're doing? Today as we hear these words of Jesus, we must ask ourselves, have we built our house on rock or sand have we worried about our tomorrows more than the light of the kingdom today have we done little different than we what we have to do jesus said for all these things do the gentiles seek that shouldn't be us we are called to so much more We, those who can see, should never grope in the darkness like they do. We are the children of the light. Our light should so shine in the world among men and glorify our Father in heaven. This is how we make the invisible God visible. And this is how they will see Him and bow. May we do unto others as we would have them do unto us. Only then will we bear the figs and grapes of the new promised land. Only then will be, be will the thorn and the, th- the thistle of the curse be seen as they are in the sand of uncertainty. Let me read our text again. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will like unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. Just as James tells us, we must be doers not just of good things, but of these good works which we have read here. In the Sermon on the Mount. The rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded on the rock. When troubles come, and it will come in every age, in every family, if you have built on the rock the truth, the true expression of the kingdom life, it will stand. You know, sometimes, you may not think of it this way, but a flood and a storm is really just kind of too much of a good thing. Rain's good. Without it, nothing grows. Nothing flourishes. No fruits come. But we live in the land where a storm of too many good things, too much rain, has been a flood upon us. Like the early church. You see, their problem was that the church became the state church. And they weren't under persecution. Their problem was is the best jobs were with the church. 
Their problems was that, that the important people were a part of the church. That was their, their problem. Our problem is that our lives are too good. Our lives are too easy. We have so much that we have struggles with the fact that we have so much. That's our storm. Our storm isn't, you know, Hillary and Donald and all these crazy lunatics out here who want to run America into the ground. That's not our trial. Our trials that we are fat, rich, blessed people that have so much that it's like a flood to us. And because we build our house on the sand, it's washing our houses away. In our blessings, we fall into the same pitfall. Everyone that hears these sayings of mine and does them not shall be likened to the foolish man who built his house upon the sand. We have heard them in many weeks before today and they've been summarized again here today let us make sure that our footers are planted on the rock and not in the sand of self or just simply good deeds the rain descended the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell and great was the fall of it you see that house always falls and great will be its fall it must have looked like a great house at one time but when it fell it fell great As Jesus ends his sermon, he says it came to pass in verse 28 that Jesus ended his sayings for the people were astonished at his doctrine for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Let us not be astonished today. I know this is kind of a rough deal. He's our rock. The only thing we can build our lives on in this world. Let's build on him. Let's read again the words of the Sermon on the Mount and ask ourselves, is that what my life is about? Or has it become about a lot of things? That could come second to those. Let us pray. Lord, you have challenged us greatly. You have exposed by the light of your truth our foolishness, our tendency to look for sand instead of the rock, to find our own way which seems to be good, the good way that seems right unto us. Lord, the end of that is a great falling house. It is the burning away of our straw and our wood and our hay and our stubble. Lord, that we pray, Lord God, that we would build with good things, that we would build on the rock, and that we indeed could be a grounded city on a rock, on a hill whose light cannot be hid. Oh, Lord God, then will the kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Christ's name we pray and all the church said, Amen. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you.